0: You know, when I first joined this community two years ago, Sunday mornings were a rather eerie sight here, okay? Let me paint the picture for you. It was the heights of lockdown, and uh, so what would happen is on Sunday mornings, we would gather here, and uh, we would just have this giant camera just sort of right behind the table here, and we would gather together what we called a skeleton crew which meant a team of about five people in this room that is built for 500, the fire marshals say. We had five people. We had the preacher, the tech team in the back, the worship leader, and one pastor who'd sit about right there with the laptop trying to chat with you all as we tried to broadcast a worship service that would connect with everybody. And I have to tell you that showing up here, it was surreal and it was a little bit spooky and it was downright apocalyptic sometimes. So it makes me really grateful to see all of you today. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But I remember back then the question that we were asking under that peculiar set of particular circumstances and limited information and a desire to love our neighbors, all those things. The question that we were asking then was what is the least number of people we need serving in order to pull off a worship service? That was the question we asked every week. How bare bones can this skeleton crew be? Could maybe one of us wear multiple hats and kind of run around behind the scenes to limit the number of people in here? What's the bare minimum? That's the question that we were asking then and perhaps we needed to, but this morning I would propose to you That for your sake, as an individual, in your personal journey of faith, and for the sake of our friends and neighbors, and in the light of our renewed mission to connect the generations to Jesus and one another, this cannot be a question that continues to determine our definitions and goals of service. We as the body of Christ cannot become all Jesus has called us to be With the skeleton crew mindset, we need an expansive view of service in order to generate momentum. Now, as many of you know, uh, today we're going to be finishing up our series by that name, Momentum, where for the last month we have been starting off this year by looking at four tried and true ancient practices, rhythms, commitments that have guided and steered Jesus centered communities across time and cultures. And today, we're going to be invited into the practice of serving. So uh, as many of you will know, a couple weeks back, we had our one and only annual National Day of Service, Martin Luther King Day which is like other national celebrations. It's this three-day weekend like we get for presidents and others. You get this break from regular work and school. But this day, early on in January, is officially designated by Congress as a day on, not a day off, a day off for service and solidarity. And so this year as I was following along on some of the dedicated acts of service that were going on here in the city of Fresno, and there were some beautiful acts of service. There were marches and speeches and dances and poetry and prayers, all of which have taken on a sort of new significance for what they're calling for us as our nation deals with as Pastor Rhonda led us to pray about the violence that killed Tyree Nichols. And we're praying that God would continue to improve our justice. But well, back then on January 16th, already I was watching and I was, I was open and I was curious what Dr. King had to say himself about service. So let's lean into this quote this morning. King wrote this, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Turns out this great man, who's the only person our country is thought to dedicate an entire day of service to, believed anyone could be great by following the path of service, regardless of where you come from. Regardless of what type of family you came out of, what resources have been afforded or denied to you, MLK says everybody can be great because anybody can serve. Now watch this. This quote is so insightful. I've been sitting on it for a bit. See, I think that Dr. King knows where our minds go because a lot of us can tend to think, well, yeah, like if only I was like him, then of course I could be great. I'd have something of service. I'd have something valuable to to give to humanity. If only I was like her. We place a lot of quick qualifications and conditions around which paths we take in life. But Dr. King gives two examples. Pay attention. The first is this. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. Now, it's interesting that he would pick this example as someone who received his first degree, his bachelor's degree at 19 years of age, as an academic protege who got his PhD by 26. In other words, kids stay in school. He doesn't mean education is not important. He knows the value of it, but he says you don't need it to serve. The second thing he says is you don't need to make your subject and your verb agree. One of the greatest orators in our nation's history, a person who was a high school debate champion from his youngest years knows the power of words, but says you don't need to be great with those in order to serve. What's he saying? He's saying, you don't have to be like me in order to be great. You don't have to have my aptitudes and my accomplishments and my credentials in order to be great. But here's what you do need you need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love because that's what you need to serve. It's fascinating what he's doing. Now, where's Pastor King get this understanding? Well, it certainly sounds Christian, doesn't it? Kind of riffing on Jesus' claim maybe from Matthew's uh, gospel that the greatest among you will be your servant. But the words I was reminded of most come from a letter from one of Jesus' original followers who's writing this letter when he's now an old man. He's sort of this OG figure in the early church, Peter, who's writing to a group of Christians before Christianity has become mainstream. In other words, he's writing to a vulnerable community of suffering people who are trying to figure out together how their commitment to the way of Jesus is going to lead them to pattern their lives, not only in how they relate to one another, but in how they relate to a broader society and culture that is constantly alienating and marginalizing people from their allegiance to Jesus. So that's sort of the larger argument that Peter's sort of making. And today we pick up with him mid-flow in his developing argument that demonstrates how Christian acts of service derive... From love. As Scott McKnight uh, puts it sort of in shorthand, this great New Testament scholar today, he says, love is the MVP of Christian virtues and deserves all the media's attention. Notice that love is the the note, the final word that King's quote ends on, and it's where Peter picks up his argument, beginning in the fourth uh, chapter, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins, my sins, your sins. The sins committed against us and the sins we commit. It covers a multitude of sins. Above all love, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I prefer to offer hospitality with some grumbling, but Peter says without. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. He sort of breaks into prayer, which is funny because then he just keeps writing his letters. So it's kind of interesting. But let's break down what he's saying here. Mother Teresa, uh, one time, she was trying to describe the simplest path that she could to peace. And she, she said this. She said, love is service. That's it. Love is service. That is part of the logic of this passage, which moves us from the contemplation of love to service. And we can all serve, Peter says, he assumes, because we are all gifted. And this is good news. Again, King said, you don't have to have my gifts to serve. Peter says, no, but you've got to use your gifts to serve. You are gifted, which I put up there because I suspect that at least one person in the room doubts this because there's always at least one of us. Working with students, I know that many kids worry that somehow they're the one exception, the statistical anomaly of the giftless individual. But for my part, I was talking to Brother Adam about this this week. I've never yet, and neither has he, we've never yet met a student who isn't gifted in some way, right? They just might not know it yet. Though actually, as I think about it, most teenagers I talk to seem to think that they have all the gifts to do everything one moment, the bravado, and then all of a sudden the next moment they have nothing to do anything. But adolescence is difficult, right? Point being, you have a gift. You have a gift. There is something that is easier for you to do than most other people. There's something you're so good at that someone might pay you to do it, but you're so passionate about it that you would do it for free. You have a gift, even if you may undervalue it. I remember a couple years back, I had taken on this project that had become increasingly complex, and I was getting overwhelmed, and so I called up an old friend of mine that I remember was in this related industry, and they were good at this one part of it. And so I, I bring them lunch, and I go to their workplace, and over 45 minutes off the top of their head, as they're like literally eating the burrito that I brought them, they give me a master class that helps me to check off all of these different to-do list items that I had. It makes sense of all these different things. And I remember at the end, as they go back into their workplace, they're like, hey, it's all I got for you. I'm so sorry that all I can help with is this easy part X, and now you have to do the really hard stuff of Y and Z. And I almost laughed because here's the honest truth. Y and Z are the things I'm best at. See, Y is easy for me and Z I'm passionate about. And it was X that they had just helped me with that was gonna keep me up all night. But they had just helped me with that. Our gifts are meant to be used as pairs, in tandems, with each of us contributing something that leads to a whole that is greater than the sum of our parts. So don't undervalue your gifts because not only do they have incredible potential, but they have a profound purpose. All right, here's my nerdy moment. There's always one. This is it for today. I'm just, it's a disclaimer. Stick with me. Okay, I'm going to teach you a little bit of a word. See, when it comes to describing the many gifts of God's people, Peter wants to illustrate just how different these gifts can be and how many types there are to show how great is the grace of God that comes to us in so many forms. And so he uses a relatively rare Greek word in the New Testament. And I'm going to teach it to you. The word is poikilos. Let's all say it together. Poikilos. Say it with me. Poikilos. Okay. Here's what it means. It means differently colored. It means variegated. It means uh, it's meant to describe something that comes in all of these different shapes and hues. And so what, what Peter does is the first time he uses the word in his letter, really far at the very beginning, a scholar named Dr. Karen Jobes helped me to see that the first thing he describes as poikilos is his audience's sufferings. He says, you all know that in life, your trials... And your temptations and your challenges come to you in poikilos forms. In other words, he's saying what we all know. We all know that you can have one area of your life that's doing okay and another that's falling apart. You can have a great relationship with your kids, but your finances are running a little low. It's funny actually how that one tends to happen together. Conversely, you can get a a great promotion at work, but your blood pressure starts rising. You can be making great gains at the gym, but your mental health is slipping away. You can be okay with your present state of things, but still be haunted by your past. Our sufferings, our challenges, our adversities in life present themselves in many forms. And Peter says from the beginning, I'm going to keep it real, suffering comes to you in many forms. Right out the gate. But now chapters later in his argument he comes back to the same word. And he says, but just know, God's grace comes to us in poikilos forms. You understand? In other words, if I'm reading it right, with, with Dr. Karen's help, what Peter is suggesting is this. God's answer, through the many forms of suffering and diversity that we face, are the gifts that he gives us. In other words, your gift That God has entrusted and given you may be God's answer and grace for someone else's suffering, just as their gift may be God's grace that's going to come to you in your suffering. That's the importance of our gifts that we bring to the table. Just ask anybody who's ever been associated with SART how many forms of adversity and challenge exist and come to us from right here in the neighborhood. And just how many gifts it takes on a team to be able to meet those different things. God has intentionally gifted us with many different gifts that are meant to be brought to bear in order to face the life circumstances that we find ourselves in. So this is what I want to do. For the remainder of my time, I want to get as practical as I can. I want to ask this. What holds us back from serving? What holds us back from serving? And there are three phrases that come to mind for me. These are not unique to North Fresno Church. These are just over the course of my ministry in different churches. These are some of the things that I hear. There are three mentalities that I've repeatedly encountered that each one of them has a logic to it that is understandable and reasonable, but that improperly applied may lead to us missing out on opportunities to serve as MLK and as Peter envisioned. Again, these aren't gospel. They're just anecdotes. You can correct me as to, to my assessment of, of the merits and pitfalls of each, but here they are as far this is the best that I have. First mindset I hear often is this. I can't serve because I just need to be fed. Okay? Now, this mentality has a great logic to it. There's a lot going for this mentality. It's a straightforward idea. The idea is this, I can't pour into others if I'm not being poured into, right? That makes sense. I can't keep moving forward and outward and chasing down others if I'm running on empty. And this is good and wise to be aware of. And particularly, if you have ever been in an environment where you have been over-asked and burnt out and perhaps felt used and valued more for what you could do than for who you are, then we can be especially guarded with our time and our energy and commitment. And I get it, and I can appreciate this. And it's wrong to have been in these environments in which you've been used, and I understand burnout. There's clearly a value to attending to our inputs, looking for opportunities to learn and grow, recognizing that it is true to some extent that we can only lead people as far as we have went ourselves. Remember, as we've talked about throughout this month, prayer, fasting, worship are all vital movements to a mature life of faith. But they feed into how we serve. So here's the thing. It may be that a break from service is needed. Times of rest in your schedule. We believe and practice Sabbath together. Breaks are good. We want to schedule people in rotations. All of these things. But what I have noticed as a pastor in many places is that indefinite breaks from service wind up becoming permanent retirement. This is what I've noticed. More than once, so, so more than once I've had young people that come up to me and they ask me kind of at the beginning of, you know, maybe they're in college, and so they ask me, they say, Pastor Brad, um, they, they want to know how they can pursue ministry opportunities. And often what I gather they're asking is, is they want me to recommend a book or a sermon series. Or they want me to recommend a personality inventory that they can take to learn more about themselves. And all those things are good. But often my first question to them is this. If they're serious about following Jesus, I ask them, I say, well, where are you serving? Where are you involved right now? What are you part of currently? Because that will help me make some recommendations on the other things. But there are things you learn in actively serving that I believe you cannot learn by mere observation or at a distance. Some of the best insights you will gain into the heart of Jesus and the psychology of others and how we're made and how you were called, the best insights come on site and in ministry. That's just what I've learned for myself. See, here's the biggest issue, I think, with this mentality and why I sometimes am concerned about it, even if there's wisdom to it. The I need to be fed mindset, well proper in its season, can give way to a false expectation that it is only once I have all my stuff together, that I have all my ducks in a row, that I've figured out all of my questions and had them answered, and now I have my seminary degree, and now I am ready to serve. But when we put all these conditions on service, in actuality, we'll never serve. We'll never serve. In my experience, the act of service, which is always a response to the experience of God's love for us, That's the beginning. It's us recognizing God has made me and called me and I am valuable and God has even given me these gifts and empowered me through the Holy Spirit. That's always the beginning. The act of service is a response to that. But the act of service challenges us to grow and serve and develop our gifts and the mind of Christ in us in ways that nothing else can. And it's a paradox. It's a strange thing but sometimes it is in showing up and serving others that we find our soul being fed. So Mindset number two. The second thing that holds us back from serving is a mentality that I don't think any of us really voice, but you kind of pick up on it sometimes in body language and and how things come and when we're in group projects together. And I think this myself, and I know it's in there, and sometimes I just look at a task and I go, I'm kind of above that, right? As Dorothy Day uh, once quipped, everyone wants a revolution, but no one wants to do the dishes, right? How true is that? The vision, the concept, the movement, we're for, we're bought in, but in the mundane matters. Showing up to set up early or taking minutes for a committee meeting, which means you really have to pay attention and then they review it the next time. When it comes to putting on an apron or a greeter's lanyard, if it's changing diapers over in the nursery or driving car sick prone students to camp with their AirPods in, well often I'd rather not right? Many of us would rather not, and I would say, like, look, stacking chairs isn't in my giftings, right? It's not in my passions. And there's a merit even here because sometimes what we're thinking to ourselves make a lot of sense. It's like, look, I could do that, or wouldn't it be better if I was doing that one thing that I am gifted at and great at? And what I want you to hear me, to hear you say, you to hear me saying through Peter, and what I really think Peter is saying is we want you to be using your best gifts, and recognizing that at some time every family has to take out the trash and do the dishes and do the bills, right? We have to do these things, and many hands make light work. Whatever we do, whatever we say, even in the mundane matters, we do it to the glory of God is what Peter tells us. And that's why he comes into this sort of prayer in the end, so we're not above it. Last mindset for the morning is this. It's the I've already done that mindset. Or as I like to say, it's the I've put in my time mentality. And if it's usually my generation, and it is, and people younger than me, that need to be fed, it's often our elders. as a matter of life stage and, you know, having done a lot of really credible things. It's our elders that have put in their time. And again, this mentality has its merits. Here's here's how I think it comes to be. Sometimes there is a need for some of us to relinquish some of our responsibilities and roles to make room for others, to pull back on the say that we have so that others can share in it, to make room at the table. But when we relinquish our roles in certain decision-making processes, I imagine it would also be easy for us to say, in that same movement, we're also kind of pulling back our support. We've handed off the baton, it's their thing now. But I wonder if love doesn't compel us to consider whether it is possible to relinquish some of the say, not to random people, but to sisters and brothers in the church while continuing to support and serve and give sweat equity to the vision they have been entrusted with as we wish others would have done for us when we had those roles ourselves. So I'm going to close with this. In the end, what we do and how we serve is merely a response to the grace of God, and it's to the glory and honor of Jesus. It's Jesus who lived and loved as a model of a different definition of greatness, a greatness that is, as MLK said, accessible to everyone, that Peter tells us we are all built for, graciously equipped with a variety of gifts equal to the diversity of adversity that life presents us with. So the path and pattern and practice of service presents us every week, every day with the question. Not, as a church, what is the least number of people we need serving in order to pull off a worship service or this area of ministry or this particular program, but going beyond the bare minimum of the skeleton crew mindset, we instead ask, with all the gifts that God has given us, Knowing that we are loved and called and created by God, what could we accomplish? What service could we render? And hospitality could we offer to our neighbors if we moved beyond ourselves and outwards to love and serve with all we say and do? Not to satisfy our egos, not to gain someone's acceptance or prove them wrong or expand this group's influence, but to serve to the glory and honor of Jesus. Amen.